Hey crew, welcome back to the High People Podcast. It's so good to have you listening in and thank you for that. And I don't know if you saw, but we posted on Instagram this week that we've had over 500 listens on the podcast, which is so exciting and so awesome. So thank you to everybody who has listened, commented, gave feedback, done whatever, or even just enjoyed the stories that we've shared. And that was the goal. And we're going to continue sharing some really good stories. If you haven't already, jump on Instagram, Facebook, all the socials, give us a like, like some content, give us feedback. We would love to hear it. But onwards with today's episode, episode number eight. We have Matt Purcell, who does a bit of everything, as we'll find out. He does, works in a business, he's a director, works in marketing, mental health, does the, the everything. So how about we just get into the podcast? This is the story of Matt Purcell. So my next guest, his name is Matt Purcell, who a uh, business owner, director, mental health advocate, muso, podcasts. He, look, oh, the thing I've started to learn about Matt is that oh. <laughs> he's already, he does a bit of everything. Um, it's also a legend of a guy. I've heard him speak a couple of times. He's got a really <laughs> cool story. I really enjoyed the way he went about it. And, you know, he's definitely a guy that I wanted to get on to have a chat. So, Maddie, welcome to the High People Podcast, mate. It's uh, good to have you. Oh, thanks, Clay. Appreciate it, man. It's good to be here. <laughs> yeah, awesome. Well, obviously, the, the most elephant question in the room is, you know, we are in, in lockdown at the moment, unfortunately. Obviously, with light at the end of the tunnel, which is great. Um, but what's what's lockdown life been for you? Been for, you know, yourself personally, your family, but, you know, business as well and those side of things? Yeah, like it, it's... Interesting because it makes you think of your compartments of your life and, mm. you know, you've got, and it's like they all converge into one. So you were once, you know, left home to go to work. And then now with lockdowns, it's like work and home are all in one place incubated. And when you've got two young children like we do, who are under the age of five, it makes you realize, oh God, um, yeah, it's it's pretty it's pretty tough. Like it, it's it's actually really funny that it's really hard to keep the house in order. Like those little things that you can you you'll be able to usually go to the shop, give the house a bit of a break, you know, a bit of a rest. But um, for the most part, organized chaos, a little bit of a circus. But uh, it, it has raised some existential questions for for a lot of my colleagues and me, just with what matters most and seeing the girls a lot more. My daughters is pretty fun running in kind of like half dressed in the middle of having a meeting with the CEO. It's really fun. Good icebreaker. So <laughs> <laughs> I think that's kind of the norm at the moment with, with meetings. You know, I've got a, I've got a lovely cat here. Who I think he happens to time meetings quite perfectly and, you know, jumps on the screen or, you know, kids going in. But I think more than anything at the moment, people are okay with that because everyone's sort of still in this nearly adjustment phase of like it, this is just the norm now. And this is what's going to be, um, you know, in a sense, what's going to be ongoing a little bit as well. I suppose for your your business and, and your side of things, which we'll, we'll talk a little bit about later, um, has that been drastically impacted um, by lockdown or have you been able to, you know, keep the doors open per se? Yeah, we've been really fortunate that we're in an industry which isn't completely shut down. Uh, we're probably being like 45, 50% down, which outside of lockdown is silly. Like it's still like, it's an enormous amount of revenue, not you know, you're not getting, but it was super grateful for it and that we're still able to work. It's funny because we're in an industry where uh, 
it's not a matter that we can't work. It's a matter of our clients and our, you know, our partners that need to tighten the belt or, you know, they're not getting their, the invoices paid, so they can't pay other people. So that's kind of situation with us. Mm. Yeah. So what is, um, I suppose let's go there now. What is, um, mentored media, which is, which is your company. What does that, um, do on a day to day and what's the services that you're providing to your clients? Oh, well, mental media, like it's a creative agency, but what we do is we help like, it's like per, per, a lot of personal brands. Like we've got like some great clients, like Lane Beachley's a dear friend of ours or mine now, and she's a client of ours. So for example, we would help Elaine who has, um, believe it or not, some, some problems that need to be solved. So like she has, um, you know, some communication that she wants to get out there and, and through her social media, particularly on her emails to, to a whole to, to a particular audience so what we do is we try and make what she stands for stand out and all our all our clients and that's actually real hard to do because an example is if you get your branding wrong if you get your messaging wrong you have people knocking your door that are the wrong clientele like you could spend like a, a classic example man is um i remember um there was an ad that was like an old nrl nrl ad was like this this food player was running through a whole field of barbarians you know and getting getting through all of them and he got to the cross the trial the trial line and it was like wizard home loans we'll get you over the line and the phones are ringing off the hook for wizard home loans get me over the line but there were the wrong customers because the messaging was wrong and it implied that it doesn't matter if you've got cracked credit score or not we'll just get you over the line man oh, <laughs> and that's an man. example a quarter of a million dollars spent and getting the wrong clients or customers because of the wrong message so that's what we try to to do is get the right message for people. Yeah, awesome. I think it's so obviously important and particularly branding and, and self-promoting and those types of things are, are very, very important nowadays because you need to do that to sort of, um, you know, either get your face on the map or, or whatever area um, that you are in. So that sounds really, really cool. Well, it is, it is the High People podcast. You know, we want to talk about your journey as well. So um, mm. I suppose it, it starts at the beginning, uh, Matt. So where were you born? I was born in another country, man. Um, so a lot of people, when they meet me, they're like, so you were born here, right? Because when you close your eyes and you hear my voice, it's like I sound like some surfer dude or something. Like I've been told, <laughs> so close your eyes on the play. Close your eyes for a second and uh, try and erase the image of me in your head and tell me, wh- what do I look like? Like, let's let's do this now. What do I look like when you just... Uh... <laughs> Man, the listeners, this looks like listeners every normal day Aussie to me. <laughs> because <laughs> your listeners aren't going to see me yet so it's like you wouldn't even imagine people that i'm asian like uh, that I, i'm you might not assume that i'm an asian i have an asian background but i'm from south korea man and that's my heritage not north because if i was north i would uh, be a damn good swimmer that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> so so you bought you're born in south korea um and you're obviously um, in Australia and, and you've, we've gone through that process, but what, what, how did you end up in Australia? Um, you know, is it, was it a long process? Was it, you know, did you come out here when you were young or did you come over here recently? What was, what was that journey and that story? Yeah, well, I was adopted. So I, I didn't really know or really care. I didn't really care that I was adopted until my parents split up really like when my adopted mm-hmm. parents, but I always knew I was different. I mean, I looked in the mirror and realized I was like, you know, Asian. And my parents were like, looked like you. 
<laughs> white skin yeah. and my mum was white skin and blonde hair and my sister was from another isn't from another country she's from taiwan so we're not blood relatives and uh yeah so we didn't really care they loved us and were open to better adoptions from a young age and and i think when they split up when i was about six that's when i guess it started mattering to me because it was a thing of well young kids tend to blame themselves for things that they shouldn't and mm. that's what I did, and it raised that whole adoption thing to mind. Yeah, wow. Mm. So, at what age um, were you adopted, Matt? Like, what what timing, you know, did you end up in? I suppose physically in Australia. I was four months old when I was adopted, so I don't really remember anything. <laughs> but I have had children, so I, I will say that it's oddly strange someone to some people who may not be parents but there's still a lot of familiarity a big connection between mum and mum and bar but even four months old and i can't imagine what my birth mother would have had to go through to to hand that baby over that she had gone to the lengths of delivering i mean raising for a bit be pretty tough yeah absolutely so you've gone through so that process and then Growing up in Australia, and you, you've you've sort of alluded to that um, at that sense where you know you could look in the mirror and go, you know, I'm I'm different um, in that sense. <laughs> at what at what point or how did you I suppose develop um, an understanding or you know ex- I suppose nearly accept your past, you know, accept the the place where you'd come from or the position that you had been in. How did that impact your your childhood and? And how did you go about, I suppose, processing that is, is where I'm trying to get at with that question. Uh, I mean, to be real, like it didn't really come across my mind when I was too young and like uh, until people started pointing the, the point out, you know, like, why don't you let your mum and dad? Why don't you, why are you, why are you adopted? Does that mean that because you're adopted that, you know, you, what, will you ever meet your birth parents? So it's just the questions from others actually rose at, the awareness to me and I'm like, well, just, it kind of just annoyed me. I was like, well, hmm. I don't, I don't really want to think about this. Like, and, and then as I got older and, you know, we were all insecure mostly as kids at some point in our lives, like, who are we? What are we good at? It would come up in my thoughts. No, probably when I was about 12, 13, I started really thinking about, you know, who I was and what if, uh, like the what if, amazing, it's amazing what that phrase, what if does because it just has an infinity amount of options. Like what if that I wasn't adopt, wasn't picked up by my parents? What if I could have been still, you know, a person from that country? Um, but yeah, I, I think I was quite deep from like the ages of like 12 upwards. I started really getting into um, just asking a lot of why questions and get, I used to get down quite easily because I didn't know how to figure out the answers, but I knew intuitively something was there because I felt like there's probably more to me than I knew um, that was on the surface, actually. That's probably the, mm. the, the case. I, I was always a bit of a mystery to myself, Clay, because I I discovered by the age of 12, 13, that um, I had gifts and talents that weren't from my mum and dad, that Australian, my Australian parents. I could clearly see where they influenced me, but or gifts in me like my creativity and you know that i was like wow that must be from my my genes yeah well i think it's um it's something that you know i'm trying to process now and i reflect on it in a sense my family situation obviously my parents and my, my blood parents but then trying to 
you know, understand, I can understand the impact my father, for example, has had on my life. And a lot of people say, you're very much like your, your father then to then, but then to have to have that influence, but then have, I suppose, a, a blood or a genomic uh, influence in, in creative and, and these type of senses is really deep and, and quite, um, yeah, it's, that's really, really deep. And to understand that there's actually impacts from, from two different worlds and, and being at that tender age of, you know, trying to figure out that, but also trying to figure out like who you are in the world and, you know, <laughs> growing and growing up and like who my friends are and, and all these types of things. I suppose that leads me to that question. What, um, where did you grow up? Uh, where was, where was school for you? Where was public school? Where was high school? Um, were you in uh, New South Wales or, or what part of Australia were you in? Yeah, I was in New South Wales and in, in Newcastle, which is, you know, two, two hours north from here. And it's a good place to grow up. And I live with my mum majority of the time. So my mum and dad split up when I was about six. And my mum wasn't very well off. Like we struggled for a good part of, you know, our, our primary school years. So we moved house with mum probably about 13 times as a kid. It was, I hate moving house to this day. I think moving house is the biggest punish ever. Some my missus loves it. Like she's like, oh, so, so I didn't get in a new place, but I'm like, no, nah, I, I hate the boxes. I, it triggers me. <laughs> it's one of the worst things um, ever. I'm, I'm up there. Like I hate it. Waving, moving house. I reckon, <laughs> no, nah, no, thank you at all. <laughs> no, nah, it, it, it sucked as a kid uh, like that, but I was, acutely aware that my mom did everything she tried she did everything she could to to give us the best she could like and that's she, she would like for example she'd she would scrape she'd always put herself last and scrape the money she could to like put me through tuition for music lessons or um you know like some of my mates at school you know got new shoes and i'd want new shoes and she'd be like i can't get you new shoes and i had to learn quickly like we can't afford we actually have to plan these things out so it made me, I think that's instilled a little bit of a value in me, probably a big value in me to work hard and to, you know, think about earning earning money or being a, because I, I am like more, I am pretty business minded, like in that sense. Like, and I think that came from the fact that I have experienced one end of the spectrum, not extreme poverty, but just when things were tight and we didn't have a lot of reserves, which was probably a good thing for me uh, because my dad, on the other hand, I'd go visit him and he was pretty well off. So I kind of bounced between these two universes of have whatever you want when you're over there and oh, some we have to keep it, keep it really tight. Yeah, wow. So then again, like balancing that, and I don't want to read it back to that, but balancing that while trying to figure out who you are as a kid and, and trying to figure out your steps in the world. Um, was Matt Purcell a good student at school or was he uh, not a good student? Uh, he was uh, selective if I, if Matt Purcell liked the teacher, he would really listen. If he didn't like him, he'd, he'd wag. Um, he, he would wag to, to do music. So I, I was always a push the boundaries kid. I wasn't always like challenge the teacher kid or the, like that for no reason. There were other kids that did that. But if I just found, I, I just had an odd, I just have an off and on, off, off and on switch. If something's like really interesting to me or relevant to me or that I don't really, I find it really hard to get into it. I, I think I've got ADHD, to be honest. I, my, I can't stop shaking my leg all the time. I, so in school, I would be often found with a guitar or camera in my hand. Supposedly, I should have been in class for that 
period or something, but I found some reason to help some year 12 kid out or some year 11 kid out. Some <laughs> so we've mentioned um, music, you know, a fair bit, and I've obviously seen you you play and, and do those types of things. What was the, well, well, firstly, actually, was the guitar the first instrument you picked up? And, and at what age did you start thinking, you know, I really, really like this music thing? Uh, it was, my dad's always been a music lover and he was never a musician. I mean, when he sings, things die. Like when <laughs> birds fly from the sky, flowers just wilt up. But he had good taste in music and he loved the guitar. And I think, you know, as some parents do, they want to offer their kids something that they never got the chance to do. So he bought me a guitar when I was 12. And I, I like everyone, you start as, as a beginner, you start as someone you suck, you suck at the instrument. And I almost quit a few times with it because my teachers were bad. Um, they pushed really hard theory and took the joy and the passion out of it and made it really about robotics and mechanics technique. And that's all part of it. But I think you've got to have a love first rather than just do things that of <laughs> having a loveless job. I, I, I don't like that idea. So when I found a good teacher, my dad persisted and, and kept me going and I found I really really started through music by learning my favorite songs that's when I discovered I guess pattern recognition so I would learn something on the guitar a chord and then I'd actually somehow intuitively hear that audibly in other songs without being taught the theory of it so uh, to this day I know how to I, I know what's what chords playing on this on the radio without being shown. It's mm. and that and that's that's a and that's kind of a skill that's like it's like a pattern recognition ability and I, and it applies to creative work with music and video and graphics. I can see things and then copy it and then know how that fits in other contexts. So that all started with guitar, but. Yeah, it's awesome because it's really interesting. We had um, one of my friends, Mark Diamond, was on episode two and he uh, is a musician as well. And he, he was the uh, person who designed the intro music to the High People podcast. And he has since um, a couple of times sent me different versions of the intro being, you know, this one's better, this one's tighter, this one's that. Um, but he also said, uh, and sorry, and then to my ears, I, I'm not going to lie, I can't hear the difference that much, but he would say to me, <laughs> This is so much better. Like it's on chord, it's on beat. But the one thing that he said, which I resonate really with you, he said, I play music because it's really, really fun. And if it's not fun, there's no point doing it. Uh, and he found, in a sense, when he went through college and did his music degree, that nearly crushed his um, spirit as well because of, of similar to what you said. And, um, and he had, you know, just that element of fun. Do you remember the first time, or first song that you played on guitar that was like fun? Was it "Time of Your Life" by Green Day? What What, what was the yeah. what, was it? <laughs> what song was probably, it? Probably was around that era. Yeah, to be honest, it was. It probably was that song. <laughs> Not even lying. That that was when I first started learning. It's, it's so long ago. It shows our age. Um, but any, yeah, I think there is. Like some cliches are cliches for a reason. They've got some truth in them. And I mean, it's like you don't just, you know, do things for, like, I mean, if you, you've got a, if you've got a partner, you know, and you don't just go, oh yeah, she'll make a good cook. Yeah. You know, oh yeah. And that's why I'm going to do it. Or, oh yeah. It's, it's, it, it, it's a strange way to look at the world. Um, I think when something 
makes you go awe, in awe. I think there's something about the ability to be in awe of something. And when you're in awe of something, you want to imitate or be part of, of that of which that you admire. So when you admire something, you want to copy it. If you admire something, you want to be like it. If you want to try it, you want to taste it, you want to touch it. And it's that that leads you. That's, that's what attracts you in, not the sacrifice. The sacrifice is... I mean, no one buys a house because they want the sacrifice. Now they, mm. they sacrifice in order to get to the pleasure, and that's and that's it. It's like I I, I see myself there, and that's why I think um, inspiration is a big part of the initiation of trying things. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that. Like the awe of something, you know. Like you see, you know, Tom Morello from Rage Against Machine play on the stage, and you're like, I want to do that. Like, I suppose that's what a lot of people would do or they'd see something. They see sports for, uh, people, you know. I remember as a young kid looking at Ricky Ponting and Adam Gilchrist play and I nearly switched yeah. to being a left-hander because I loved Gilly that much. Like, um, that was, in a sense, what really pushed my cricket career. So I love that, that, that awe and that, that inspiration. Um, yeah, it's funny. If you watch cricket, you want to play cricket, right? Like, that's just, absolutely. you want to have a hit. Yeah, and then seven hours later, you're standing out in the sun in, in whites and uh, you're half sunburnt and the team are four for 590 and you've been chasing leather all day and you're like, why am I doing this? But uh, that's <laughs> that's for another another story. I don't want to lose listeners by talking about cricket. People hear me talk about that enough. <laughs> um, how about life after school, um, Maddie? So you finished, or did you finish year 12? Probably is the, is the first question. And then, and then what did life after oh. school look like for you? It's a great question because I actually wanted to drop out and my mum like begged me to stay for year 12 because, yeah, I was like, I, I, this is a waste of time for me. I remember uh, when I got to about year 10, something really came on, a light bulb came on for me and I was like, I'm not playing around anymore. I, I, I kind of like found a new confidence and it might have been around the time of my life where I found a good youth group. I found some good older guys that, you know, we had a little fun with, believed in me. But I also seen enough jerks at school to not want to be one and and stick up and, and kind of stick it to them a bit, and and teachers too. I kind of started getting a bit more vocal around teachers being all political about you know your school uniform's got to be this or yeah you know, you're gonna you're gonna be on detention for your hair being too long. I'm like I get stuffed. I'm not gonna cut my hair. <laughs> How about you? Like, so I'm gonna, are you gonna put me on detention? I'm gonna be in the I'm gonna be in the detention room because some kid's gonna be there because he punched someone in the nose, and I'm gonna be there because my hair's too long. You tell me what, where's the injustice in that? Like I'd, I'd be like kind of that guy in year ten. Yeah. So I I begged my mom like, can I just not go to school? Like I, I know what I want to do. I just want to do music. I want to be in business doing music, uh, uh, some creative stuff. And she's like, nah, nah. I want you to stay. And I did. And I didn't get an ATAR because I. I actually slept in my IT exam. So I actually missed my last exam. Um, so yeah, I, <laughs> so yeah, it wasn't the best uh, role model for, for academics, that's for sure. But I got nearly top, in this, I got a very good top, I got state worthy marks for music, that's for sure. Like, stuff that I'm interested in, I get really good at, but hmm. for the most part, I just kind of saw the irrelevant, like things are just, it just shows you, you could, I think most people, need to know the relevance of something for the real world. I, I just I just can't stand education that doesn't apply to the practical. I'm a real practical dude. I'm like, so don't tell me something unless there's some type of doing. Like, don't teach, don't tell me what you know unless I know what the relevance is for everyday Joe Blow because 
you might sound smart, but I mean, what's what's the point? I I, I can't use that. No, I'm being selfish with, for that reason. I don't mind being selfish with knowledge. Selfish with knowledge. Mm. That's awesome. I love that. And I, I resonate with that too in my area. You know, when I did the prac, for example, in my ex I learned so much more from actually just talking and seeing in the clinic and seeing it happen versus reading about mitochondria and the Krebs cycle and all this stuff in a textbook. That was like straight over my head. But then when I actually get in a room and be like, hey, this guy's got a busted ankle. How do we go about that? Like, it's so true. I think there's elements to that. There's people who think that way. And then I think um, you and I sound like the same, that sort of practical way. Show me how to do it, then I'll do it. And then I'll be able to apply it um, to, to that field. And I suppose applying your learnings, your passions, what you are looking to do, what was the, you know, what was the first business, I suppose, that, that you had or what was the first venture that, you know, really kicked you onto this trajectory? You said you wanted out, that you wanted to get into business, you wanted to do music. What was that first thing that you went, I'm going to own this, this is, this is what it is? Well, I always tended to look at my strengths. So one of my strengths was I like people. I think I'm pretty good in front of one-on-one with people. And I knew that as a young kid, cause I always would go for the one guy who was left out and would talk to them. And, and I remember there was a kid named Nathan and he has a disability. And even back when mental health wasn't a good big topic, I knew intuitively that these people were misunderstood. So I'd always include him and teachers noticed that too. Um, so I always had a heart to just get underneath the skin. So I wanted to, so for, for in year, like for business, I was like, I'm good at music. I'm good at creativity and good with people. My dad was pretty business savvy. Like he's like, you should start teaching guitar. Like you should, you know, do some tuition because that will get you through touring and all that. I'm like, yeah, I can do that. So in year 10, I started teaching guitar. Like I was 16 and I was earning like 15 bucks half. I was earning 30 bucks an hour, like doing, <laughs> music lesson for 15 bucks half an hour and my school teacher like I, I don't know if it's allowed now but two of my school teachers said can you teach me i'm like okay oh, wow. so as long as you give me good marks and like piss off i'm like, all right cool um <laughs> I <was working> hard. <laughs> so i started teaching some of my school teachers some guitar and i was getting like you know like 30 bucks an hour like from, from them so and then um so i never had a real job like I had never worked at Mackey's or Hungry Jack's. I never had worked for anyone. So, and then I had a whole bunch of kids that were sent to my house with my mom's, where my mum lived. Then I taught them from there. I went to their house. So I had a good little clientele. And then when I left school, my school asked me to stay on board. <laughs> Believe it or not, they're like, yeah, do you want to stay? And you can, we can, you can be our tutor here. And I was booked out. Like I was like, yeah, well. like oh my, it sounds so simple, but I, I had like accumulated like dozens and dozens of students and I limited my days because I'm like, I don't want to be teaching guitar all week, but this is a great coin and um, I want to be touring. So I, I gave that a crack for a fair few years and then got into, did some charity work with uh, a webinar group, a seminar group that went into schools and I sang in those schools and then learned how to speak to, to, to large crowds. Uh, that presenter taught me how to do it. And um, that's where my love affair for speaking and presenting came about. Uh, yeah. So I didn't know. I mean, here's the thing. Like, some people think you just arrive at your passion. You arrive at your, your job. But really, it's just you know, you, it finds you sometimes. Like, you, you, you don't know what things taste like until you, you put it on the fork and put it in your mouth. And you've got to taste and see. 
and that's kind of where I started. I love that taste and see that is awesome yeah it's like you know having just getting in there and having a go because eventually you might find something will will come to fruition or it might trigger that mindset or it might trigger that that passion um and go from there back to your passion around music and you've said touring and the like were you in a band or was it the the matt purcell show or what was what was that element of of your life uh it it was like kind of like the Matt Purcell show a bit and did a lot of solo work and, you know, did, did some, I mean, it's hard getting paid doing original art, like no matter what the medium is, if you're mm. a visual artist or singer, like songwriter, it's, it's ridiculous. It's probably the hardest industry in my opinion to make a quid a career in, but there's a, there's so many like uh, expressions, like so many commercial things in, in an industry. So music, there's, you can teach music, you can perform at a gig, that's a different expression. You can do corporate gigs, you can be a session muso, like there's so many ways. So for those who are listening that might be in it, like there's so many like avatars of that, so many expressions. So for me, I, I tried doing original music and toured for a bit and played with some cool art, supported some artists for a bit, but I just, I discovered, here's the thing about tasting and seeing, sometimes you discover that that's not what you want forever. Hmm. Like it's something that I, you don't realise that, man, that's going to require me to uh, be on the road for, for six months of the time and and uh, having consistent income and to strain your relationships that if you're in a serious one. or it, It's it's not for the faint-hearted, that's for sure. So I bowed out of original music pretty quickly because I was like, yeah. I, I give kudos to anyone who does it. Yeah, it's definitely like an an industry that is yeah it's live and die by it you know and there's a, there's some people that are just brilliant musos that unfortunately will just not get that chance due to the industry and then you'll just see others just rise um out of nowhere the other thing i want to address you you mentioned you know your love for for speaking now and public speaking and um i know you do a fair bit of it and um you know I, I get to do a fair bit of it in my role as well but the one thing that i loved about your style is i think what you want to achieve is is engagement and being engaging um how did you uh were you ever scared of the stage were you, did you ever have that stage fright element or how did you develop into i suppose what is your presentation style now to nearly even you know say that one of your passions is is speaking oh man for sure like I remember the first few times I spoke in front of a crowd, like I had the experience from it as a singer before I performed. So I wasn't scared of a crowd, but I realized how hard it was. Like it was, it's so hard. Like you've got to, uh, your brain isn't familiar with that many people talking to like, cause you've got so many faces in front of you. It's like, well, who do I talk to? And, and you can totally become paralyzed. Like I remember the feeling of that, like, my brain feeling like it was there was something on top of it stopping from working. It was like this, this mm. stress on it, and I couldn't function properly. And uh, that's where my mentor at the time, he was like training me up to do seminar work. He would wisely like give me five minutes, and then when he see me kind of gassed out, he would come up and be like, "Thanks, Matt." Or oh. like he he really helped me that way. But what really got me better was um, actually rehearsing just talking outside, just talking out loud. Because talking is a physical exercise. Talking is, you think you're talking when you're thinking, but you're not. Like that thinking and talking are completely different. Hmm. Thinking precedes talking. 
but talking about something whenever you're not ready, like if you can just talk about any topic and you, you, you do it in the car, I talk in the car all the time. I practice like I did with music. Mm-hmm. I apply music principles to speaking, but I'll be in the car driving along and I'm just, it looks like I'm in a phone call, but I'm just talking about um, gratitude out loud, outside, out loud, just going, this is what it is. This is what it isn't. And then, and then I, I just practicing my brain to find a structure to express it and to listen to myself and go, you sound like a piece of crap. You, you, you sound so boring. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's actually one of the best things I've ever heard as well is actually rehearse. And I've found, you know, it goes without saying, the more times you rehearse your content or your scripting and then you do it and you go, geez, I nailed that versus the time where you're <laughs> a bit rushed and you're, you're like, and you go, oh man, I bombed today. And you kind of like, yeah, no kidding. Like, of, of course, of course you bombed. Uh, bombed in um, the one thing that I've um, you know come to know about you and and you know through your time is the mental health um, advocacy I'm gonna say side of things um, whether it's you know in the work that you've done in the past um, with youth and young adults even through to to what you do now I, I suppose where did um, that passion or that that focus for these types of topics, arise mm. in you um and i suppose just explain to you what what is what is mental health actually mean to you you know it's a bit of the you know they say the buzzword of of this of this century but what does mental health actually mean to you yeah firstly i because i was helping so many people doing guitar lessons actually i mean i was, I was seeing 80 people a week you know one-on-one like one-on-one on one's a lot like that's 40 hours a week in front of someone and other people. And before mental health was even the buzzword, I realized that people wasn't, they weren't struggling with money necessarily or with um, anything external as much because we live in a pretty absolute country. It's actually the mind. It was actually their self-conscious, that was actually them being self-conscious or fearful or or being bullied by the people's words and not know how to recover from that, not being really resilient, or people being really down about things they've done in the past or being really anxious about the future. Anxiety is like the number one mental illness we have in our country. So I recognise through exposure, through the behaviour of, uh, of these people, I was like, it's the mind. And no one's talking about it. We focus on our appearances so much, like the gym. We have gyms, but we don't have gyms for our mental health. Like, what the hell? Like... Because it's so easy to see the physical, like when when you when you the this is what I tell people even with marketing is that if I show you a camera, it's easy to show I've shown you something physical and it's easy to sell you that. But when I sell you in like peace, I don't have a there's no bottle to show you can't just get it off the shelf. So it's hard to visualize what anxiety is, but you know what it feels like. But we still crave that model that framework what is anxiety so for me i recognized that i was exposed to people's problems and i wasn't equipped to be able to help them so i got some i got studying and i applied i did a diploma in mental health because of that it drove me into learning more about it and to answer your second question like mental health people think mental health and mental illness are the same thing and they're wrong people like mental health on the rise it's like no that's a good thing if mental health on the rise that's fantastic because mental health is about wellness, not sickness. That's the biggest difference. Okay, we have illness, physical illness, and physical health. It's physical health through the right roof. That's a good thing, right? Yeah. Absolutely. But mental health, 
the, the World Health Organization says something like, like mental health is when an individual is able to um, contribute to the society, achieve their goals, um, you know, have a balanced emotional regulated scene. So it's not about feeling happy all the time. Like happiness, if you feel happy all the time, then you're a psycho, really. Like you're you're nuts. Like you are like because you're not meant to feel happy all the time. Like, and that's the biggest thing that gets a lot of people upset is like oh, I'm meant to feel happy. It's like no, you're not. If something shit happened in your life, hard in the French, then you should. It's appropriate to be feeling bad. If it's so, you're meant to feel a whole range of emotions that are appropriate to what happened. So if you're if you're if you lose a loved one and you're happy about it, there's something not appropriate about that, mm, right? Yeah, absolutely. It's appropriate. So you should have feel you should feel appropriate to feel a little bit down about lockdowns and about the world being the way it is and vaccinations and all this stuff. It's it, it's appropriate to feel like that. So that beat yourself up about being not being happy all the time. I think being happy all the time would actually be exhausting to be honest like just thinking about that like being always on and on and on i think what i love about that is like yeah it's a reflection of the actual time as well i think if we just sort of go zoom into now even into the lockdown like you know these types of things they're reflective emotions and attitudes of what um we are currently in you know and that's just it, it, that's what it is at the moment we can't we can't help that i suppose the question i want to ask um and is you've you know you've done these seminars you've done these talks particularly with youth i'm really interested around this this element you know where i've worked in youth as well um and done this yeah. topic but what for you whether it was around mental health or or services what do you did you see as one of the really key or standout you know i don't like using the word issues um it's not the word i'm, I'm looking for but what was the i suppose the big um, part of youth and their growing up journey that if you could nail and be like this is something we could fix what would what would that look like for you i think responsibility that so, so we got our, there's certain buzzwords that kids just go oh yeah like there's certain words that trigger them because their parents tell them you should be more responsible you need to be more respectful you need to be more this or that and it just puts a, it just puts a bad it triggers them the wrong way but I think what young people need is role models, like someone in real life, not just on social media, not just, maybe they can follow them on social media afterwards, but they need tools, like actual practical tools, and they need a good reason and a good map to be able to show how it's applied and what results that provides them. Because it's a very, their world is, you know, like high school every day, friends every day, peer pressure every day, social media every day. So you've done big on engagement because if you, you've got to get their attention first and build and drive home why it's relative for them to listen to you. And I find that youth are the hardest to talk to. If you can win youth, you can always step up to speaking adults. Yeah. yeah. Because you, youth will judge you faster than anyone. They'll be like, they'll, they'll be like, yeah, Clay's cool or he's not cool. Um, and if he's not cool, then I'm not going to listen to him, even if he has all the answers. So um, I, I have that approach with you. And I think the biggest, that they're the biggest things I see is they need real life uh, examples of how life can be better for them. Mm. Yeah, that's awesome. Real life examples, so good. I think, yeah, winning that, that battle at the start to you know get their concentration will always be, I think, that tricky point. If 
I swear, even if you're five minutes older than them, that's like, nah, you're older than me. All of a sudden, like there's a, I suppose, a, a per uh, stereotype along those lines. Moving now from youth into um, you know, adults and, and you've obviously had the privilege um, of interviewing all different types of people, whether it's been for the podcast or for work or the like. And, you know, I, <laughs> they are of a celebrity status, but I don't like using that because they're also very much just a person as well who has a story and, and has um, a journey. You know, what have you learned from, I suppose, sitting down with people and, and understanding what makes them tick or, or where do they come from or, or what what's that journey been like what have you learned from other people yeah i've met i have met i guess equivalent to kings and queens and i've met people who are homeless as well so i'm back at my old church i used to we used to feed the homeless people in our city and hearing their stories is quite amazing because uh life deals you a, a, a hand which you don't get to choose and unfortunate that's that that can be really difficult to, sh- to shake i guess what i've learned from the high achievers i guess is a lot of them that i've met they weren't given to they weren't given that stuff but they, they didn't get they didn't inherit that they I, I i think we overemphasize achievement a lot I mean, and we and we admire it. I think achievement should be admired in a lot of ways because it does. It's not easy. I think we admire things that aren't always easy, because if it was easy, then everyone would be doing it. There's some easy things we should be making popular, by the way, like being kind to one another and all that. But like, for example, the people I interviewed, I, I want. I've asked them human questions. I want to know what the human side is. I want to know what they think of the meaning of life. I want to know what their backgrounds are, similar to what you're doing to me. And what I found was is that um, they all had to overcome a really major thing to be able to get to where they are. So Janine Alice, who's Boost Juice uh, Shark Tank, she was 27, 28 years old and a single mom and 20 bucks in the bank before she started Boost Juice. Mm. And she's multi-squillionaire now. But um, she had something to fight for. She had something for, she had something really on the line. And all of these guys, I think all entrepreneurs and I resonate with this because I've taken major risks in my life. The difference between, I guess, that extraordinary and just if you want to venture to the extraordinary, you've got to, you've got to risk, you've got to be all in. There's some games you can't win unless you're all in. And that means you might, you might not know if it's going to pull come off. I, I, these people have mortgaged their house to for something that's not a sure bet. Like that's that's ridiculous risk, um, and it takes you know as much calculation as you can. But it's just a belief in yourself as well and the plan. And and um, they're, they're big on structure. There's some big things on that I learned from them. They're, they're, they're really big on structure. If you don't have a structure in your life, you've got chaos in your life, and you, you can't be disciplined unless you have structure. So. Um, People say just be disciplined, Clay, but like disciplined people have structure. Structure is king. So all these guys have that universal thing in common. Yeah, love that. I'm gonna ask you one more question sort of around this mental health and workspace, and then we're gonna talk a little bit about family to to finish off as well, because I think that's a really, really cool um, way to end. Um, you put up a post recently and it was about family actually, so it kind of works nicely into two questions. And you said the quote at the end where it says, we are not born winners or losers. We are born choosers. 
that really resonated with me, but I'm, I'm keen to hear maybe the, the background behind that and, and what led you to, I suppose, that statement and how do you interpret that? Yeah, I'd love to hear your interpretation too of this. So, I mean, this mm. is a, a big part of that is um, my adoption story is uh, I, there's some things you don't get to choose. I will say that like I, most of the things that got you here, you didn't choose. You didn't choose the gender you are or the, I mean, the sex you are or the location you're born in or what school you got to go to or what family you're born into either. So those things are completely up to the universe to be able to do. But like I said before, you are dealt a hand and that hand is your, your gifts, the, the, the environment you are born in, the people that you have access to and the resources that you have access to. So you've got to play that hand the best you can or what's the alternative? What's the alternative to playing the best you can? Like just quit, just self-destruct. Mm. Like that's really the alternative. So for me, choosing being born, you're not born. The winners and losers are like saying like, oh yeah, I'm born, I'm born a loser because I was born in a poor part of the country. I could have said that. I could have said, oh, I'm a loser because I was adopted. My parents split up. Like I have so many excuses and reasons to like be having this lifestyle. I'm a loser. Like I was born like that. And I could say that because they're the cards I did. Look, I'm a loser. I've got a losing hand. Or I'm a winner. Like uh, you can go around and be like, oh, I'm a winner. But you're going to be disappointed if you say I'm a winner because you don't win everything. Life isn't about, um, life isn't happiness all the time. It's it's full of suffering. I believe in the Buddhist idea of uh, life by default is suffering. Like to work is to suffer. To love is to suffer. To get better is to somewhat suffer. So you've got to find some type of meaning to make your suffering worth something. Like mm. what, find something worth dying for. And for me, it, that comes down to choice. Uh, a book that really changed my life was uh, Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning when he survived as a, a, prisoner, a prisoner of war. He was a psychiatrist and he saw every single thing stripped away from every man, his wife, his kids, his, his job, his name, his hair. Like they named them numbers rather than names. And that the men who survived longest had greater willpower were people who chose to find meaning in their life. They chose, no matter what happened to them, there's one freedom that can't be taken away is how you respond to the situation. So there's no excuse. Like you could say you're a loser or a winner, but really what you are is you get to choose what sacrifice you make. You get to choose what card you put, put out of your hand. Um, or life will life will make that choice for you, that's for sure. But at least you get to determine what sacrifice you make. Uh, that's yeah. the important part. Yeah, I love that. And I think that's sort of the way I resonated with too. And the thing that I would and add on to that is that I think life or being proactive in certain areas opens up sliding doors. And then it's actually then a choice of what you want to do in that element. So like I have, for example, with this High People podcast, I had a spark come up and I went, ah, uh, you know what? No one's going to like it. It'll be, you know, this will be stupid. You know, it'll be a waste of time. But then I was like, I think I've come to learn. I'm like, who cares? Like, let's be proactive. Let's go through this. And like, you know, do I know where this goes? No, but it's a lot of fun. And I get to hear a lot of cool stories. So like, I'm going to choose to invest some time. And I'm going to do it well. Um, and I'm going to, and I'm going to step through that. I think it was the same with my career, same with the jobs that I'm in, same with, you know, all different types of life. So I think, that element of choosing as well, I think also really honors the proactive um, is something that, that I would mm -hmm. add on to that as well. Like if you, you go after something, you give it a crack, like um, 
yeah, I think, you know, it's even resonates to like some, some heroes and even for my, in my life, my spiritual journey with, with Jesus, I think, he, you know, he goes after people. He has a crack, like he goes after people. He doesn't just sit back and, and let it all happen in front of him. So yeah, I like that. That quote, when I saw it the other day, it really, really resonated with me. Oh, cool, man. Yeah, it does advocate for responsibility too. So if you're a chooser, um, you're not saying that it's all it's all someone else's fault. Like I'm, it, that that's the thing with a loser mentality. It's like everything is someone else's fault or my fault. You know, like it's not judging self fairly. So I'd add that too. So that's cool, man. I'm, I'm, I, that's really inspiring to hear that you got that from that saying. No, I really, I really enjoyed it, man. I really did, and. Um, I suppose let's let's go with one more question because I'm obviously going to let you go. But you've obviously got your your beautiful family um, and the like, and all the fathers that I've had on the show, um, I've asked them this simple question: is um, or even you know uh, Tomo, who was the uh, this week's episode um, coming out in episode five, um, he's about to have his first son, which is super exciting, obviously. But what does yeah. um, fatherhood for you? uh mean and and what's yeah actually i'll just leave it there what does fatherhood mean for you oh man fatherhood i guess is one of the greatest it's probably one of the the greatest privileges you have because one as a father you have given life to something you some part of you is in a human being and that can't be taken away it's actually embedded in the dna like you are part of someone else and they're part of it. So they, they're inherit, my kids inherit everything that's partially good and partially bad. And, and really for the, for the next leg of my life, I will never not be a father. So what that means to me is I am guardian, I'm provider, but I'm friend, but I am the, the role model of love of how, how I treat my kids will determine how they see other people. Yeah, you know, my example to them. So it's a huge, huge, huge uh, honor to be a dad, and it's scary as crap to be a dad too because there's a lot of <laughs> you can't. You want to do the best job you can, and and you're not given a manual on it. There's books written about it, but really we're biased toward how we've been brought up. And you look at your own upbringing. Like, oh, I did that as a kid, or my father did. I didn't like that. So you've got some do's and don'ts there. But I think um, role modeling off like. I think Christ is important. Like it's, you've got to think about um, when my kids do something wrong, how will I respond? Yeah, how will I show them what mercy looks like, or what? Um, when is, when when is it good to be not too agreeable with people too? So I think that's a hard thing. So there's a line between being too agreeable and too too harsh, not too you know legalistic. Here are the rules. Stick to that, or you're going to be on blah blah blah, or um, to agree with, oh, you do whatever you want, honey. Yeah. And, you know, you just get it without any work or do it with any appreciation. So it, it's it's actually keeping a tab. It's never just set in stone for me at the moment. My daughter's five and my other daughter's three soon. And already I'm negotiating my five-year-old why she can't have certain things. <laughs> and I know one thing is if I'm too agreeable, it's not doing her any favor. It's uh, the whole proverb, spoil the child, you know, spare the rod, spoil the child, which isn't meaning the rod isn't like hitting them. The rod means guidance. That's what a staff is. That's what the Greek means for rod. It means leadership and, and, and guidance. 
So why can't you buy? I have the money to buy another toy, but I'm not going to give you other toy. Like why? Because look at how many toys do you have already? Do you do you use them the most you can? What is it about new things that we that are so attractive? Yeah, you know, she's brought up in a marketing world. Everything new looks yep. better. So yeah, that's that's kind of a little bit. Yeah, it's heavy. It's heavy being a dad. Um, and you've got to make sure you can get yourself sorted as much as possible <laughs> as quickly as you yeah. can. Yeah, that comes out. Mate, well, that, that is awesome. I think, you know, we've, we've gone through a full journey of, of your life, which is, you know, what I love. And obviously that is the heart of, of what we're doing here at, at High People. So, mate, firstly, thank you for coming on. Uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Um, mate, where can we find um, your business um, that you do? Where can we find you on socials and, and the like if people are looking to look into that? I just um just type in Matt I guess Matt Purcell uh, P U R C E double L and you'll see my uh my hair's getting quite long you know sir I've mate, it is I was gonna say that obviously people won't be able to see it but mate that is uh yeah it's proper long you'll see um you'll see my long Asian hair on uh I am Asian so that just will help you with the profile <laughs> but yeah I mean that, that's me and I'm I'm on there a lot so. Give us a holler if you want to say hello. And thanks for having me on the show, man. I appreciate it. Oh, it's been awesome. Thanks so much, Matty. Enjoy your evening. Yeah, you too, man.